it's just so thankful to be here. If you are in the middle and wouldn't mind scooting in just a little bit, if there are any open seats or maybe on the outside, scooting out toward the out just so we can fit as many people in, that would be amazing. We're going to continue worshiping together.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be reading 
verse 15 through to the end of the chapter, verse 23 together. We'll remain standing out of honor for the Lord and his perfect word. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated us at Uh, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You may be seated. And as you're seated, we have a few people still looking for seats. If you can close any gaps, that would be appreciated as people are are filing in. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we don't have words to adequately express our thanks and our praise that you would send your Son into the world according to the promises to take flesh, to die, and then to rise again. And Lord, just in the songs that we've been singing, uh, even just now, it captures what's in our hearts, that we can have assurance of our resurrection because Christ has been raised. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power, resurrected as we will be when he comes. Christ alone, our hope in life and death, and we can sing hallelujah and let that be the song of our lives because Jesus has been raised. And so, Lord, we want to worship you and praise you and give you all honor and and glory. Ascribe that to you this morning because you have sent your son into the world to die and to rise again. Jesus lives forever and ever. And Lord Jesus, we want to worship you this morning as the king of the universe, the one uh, by whose death and life we have life and the one who will rule forever. Lord, we thank you so much that everyone who's in Christ, every Christian, knows that death is, is not the end and we don't, we don't lose even after the fall because we are united with you. And if you've been raised, we know that we too will be raised. Lord, thank you that you've, you've held out to us hope and life, forgiveness for every sin and the triumphant hope that we will be with you forever and ever through your death and resurrection. You are our King, our Savior, and Lord, we pray this morning that as we are worshiping you, you would humble our hearts you would remind us of these truths and press them onto our hearts. You would help us to see ourselves as the people who belong to you and who've been purchased by your blood and who will share in your resurrection. Lord, we thank you and we, we praise you this morning. We want to give you all glory. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
death I trust in him. My soul secure, my future safe. He'll not forsake me to the Father, we thank you and we praise you that this morning we get to celebrate a Redeemer that lives, a sacrifice that did not stay in the grave, one that has rose again in glory and power and might and in whom we can put our trust. Jesus, it's you that we trust in, that we hope in. Because you are not dead, you are alive. And we rejoice by the Spirit in the work of Christ this morning. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please find Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bibles. I'll be preaching a message today entitled, Christ the Risen Ruling Savior. It's Resurrection Sunday, a day to celebrate Christ's resurrection some 2,000 years ago. And we worship our supreme ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has seen many rulers, some good and kind, some evil and overbearing. In the A.D. 90s, Emperor Domitian ruled Rome and rivaled Nero in cruelty. He insisted on being worshipped. He sent statues of himself throughout the empire, and on feast days, everyone had to bow before his image. Christians would have nothing of it. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, most likely for his refusal to bow. 
Persecution rolled over the church like wave after crashing wave. And around that time, Clement, Bishop of Rome, sent a letter to the church at Corinth to comfort them regarding what was a sudden and calamitous event. And he said this to them. He said, Christ is our leader and we are his soldiers. Christ is our leader and we are his soldiers. See, Domitian's edict forced an urgent question upon the church. And it was there in the garden when Satan tempted. That question was there at the incarnation when Herod ruled. It was there at the cross when soldiers mocked. And the question never left the church in the early decades and centuries. And the question was this, who is Lord? Who is worthy of our worship? Who rules? Who reigns? Who do we owe allegiance to? It's the same question today. Who will you serve? What power will you bow to? It was clear then, Caesar or Christ? Your mind or Christ? Worldly pleasure or Christ? Now it's hazy at best. Persuasive public figures and deceptive marketing campaigns, and your attention is easily drawn away to things destined to perish. But when the apostles and the New Testament church answered, Jesus Christ is Lord, there were consequences. Of course, there are consequences to your answer too, but not as bloody as death. For first century Christians living in a volatile, uncertain environment, superstitious adherence to magic and the occult, they were living in a godless, pluralistic melting pot of depraved indifference to God, the consequence was often the blunt force trauma of persecution or even death. But along with it came uh, the refreshingly great assurance of certainty rooted in the gospel truth. Christians could be confident in Christ's power dwelling in them, not wrecked by life or death. Same is true for you and I today. If you're a Christian today, you can be confident in the power of Christ living in you, not wrecked by life or death. We've been traveling through Ephesians chapter 1, and in Ephesians chapter 1, the first 14 verses are just praising the glories of God's grace in Christ, proclaiming every believer's possession to every spiritual blessing in Christ, being chosen and predestined and adopted by grace, redeemed, forgiven, heirs with an inheritance, sealed with the Spirit of God, and and now we're in the midst of a prayer that is, is a prayer in, in verses 15 to 23 to basically to know God better and know what he has given. Every Christian needs to know this. What, what, what God has given. And the, the idea of the prayer is that God would illumine his word so that we would see and understand the truth. Contrary to the self-centered secular creed, just believe in yourself, what, what is being said here is believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and know what he's given. Every Christian needs this, to know the hope of his calling in the past. It gives confidence. You know, the riches of his inheritance in the future, it's guaranteed. And then the greatness of his power, present. It's power to live now. And this is why I think the most time is spent and more things are said about this in these verses because it has to do with the present life. 
We're not talking about things that you just get facts about Jesus. Like today, it's not like, oh, we're remembering some fact from the past that's kind of nice and makes us feel good, but doesn't really have any effect in the present. No, we're talking about the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is living in every Christian now. Christians aren't meant to live from holiday to holiday. We live day by day under Christ. And so what these verses that we're going to look at today show us, verses 19 to 23, show us this. Jesus Christ is the risen, ruling Savior over all. Jesus Christ is the risen, ruling Savior over all. The power of God shown in the past resurrection of Christ is now in the present rule of Christ. And what this passage gives us is four holy declarations about Jesus Christ that will give you strength to live, not just today on a holiday, but tomorrow morning, to anchor Christians to live in the present. If you're not a Christian, this is is for you to hear and then be challenged by the gospel, but this is for Christians to know and to be anchored in these holy declarations about Jesus Christ that gives you strength to live, gives you the strength you need. First holy declaration is this. Jesus Christ was raised powerfully to life. Jesus Christ was raised powerfully to life. You see it in verse 20. And it basically tells us that this is the power that's in Christians is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Not just a fact to put in your memory bank. This is a truth that should drive your daily existence. You take it to the office. You take it to the bank. You take it out onto the sports field. You take it into the classroom. Paul was was praying this, and he's saying, I'm constantly praying this. This is for every Christian at all times, that they would know God's power that raised Jesus. And and really to understand this point, the point that's getting made, is you've got to dial in on verse 19, what what was being said in verse 19. Look at it with me. If you want to put your eyes on verse 19, you'll notice something. He's praying that they would know and live and experience, here it is, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He's not praying, by the way, that they would be given power. What he's praying is that every Christian would know God's power already at work in them. Not to know facts about Jesus, but to experience Jesus. Extraordinary magnitude of God's power is what is being referred to here. He said it's towards us who believe. When, when you know God, you experience his power living in you. And Paul used the best available words, exceeding power, surpassing power, literally to excel, to, to, to throw it beyond the mark. He said, it's according to the mighty working of his power. You know what that literally means? Wait, you hear this. What he's saying is this, that you would know the power of the power of his power. Literally, that's that's what it means. This is rich. The power of the power of his power. One of the greatest phrases ever put together. He's piling up words to express God's great power, not just available, but in every believer. The power of the power of his power. Four words for power are used to describe God's power. They're closely related. They're they're overlapping. First word you see 
is, is a Greek word, dunamis, and often this is, uh, is told, it's the, we get our English word dynamite from it. Only thing is, there's no hint in the Bible that God's power is, is explosive like dynamite, and dynamite wasn't invented until a thousand years after the New Testament. Really, the best way, if you want to take this word the right way, it's this is the capability of acting. Like you hear God's name, and you're like, oh, strong, strength, efficiency. It's like a ready waiting army. It's like a sprinter in the blocks before a race. And then you get the second word. We get our English word energy from this word, literally energy. It's, it means actual active power, supernatural power in operation, the effectual working, superhuman power. Energy is God's mighty power manifest and, and permeating, just permeating power. Third word is, is a word that means strength and might. It's like physical victory in war. And it's about God's rule. It's about his absolute might. It's the idea of theocracy. It's dominion, mastery, forcefulness. And then the final word. It, it means force, strength, power, might with great e power, mighty deeds that are done with great, e, great power. And what, what he's doing when he's pouring and piling these four words up is he's talking about God's dominion and strength and might, the mightiness of God, the inherent power of God, and, and what they're doing. The, these words are not you know, competing against one another. They are enforcing the idea of God's superabundant power at work in believers. You add every dictionary together and you still cannot describe the greatness of God's power. The power of God is the energy of the strength of God to whom nothing is po impossible. It's his energy in action. It's his energy displayed. It's, it's an irresistible force from the ocean of God's might, his eternal, all-powerful power. You can illustrate it this way, like picture a bulldozer. Picture as, as you walk out this, this building, you go and you look out on the grass field there and there's a bulldozer. And, and, you know, with what we're going to be building um, soon, there will be bulldozers out there. And you see a bulldozer, what do you think? The first thing you think is, built strong. It can move things. But here's the thing. You see the bulldozer, and what you know immediately, it's not running, it's not doing anything yet. You go, it has the ability. It has the ability. You know just by looking, inherent strength. But then the engine starts, and now you really know it has power. It's revving up. You know it. But then it begins to move. Now it's obvious power. You're like, I'm getting out of the way. This is obvious power to overcome any obstacle. I'm getting out of the way. But then it knocks a tree over. Or it picks up a big boulder and you see active power. So all these words work together to show you there's, there's power and, 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 it, and it's, it's, it's being used. It's in action, the mighty working of God's strength that overcomes, that prevails, that conquers, and destroys every resistance. Nothing can stand before him. His power is said to actively be directed to all who believe. If you're a believer today, this is the power that you need to survive hostile satanic powers and, and the surrounding world system and, and your sin. It's like seeing what a bulldozer is capable of doing. You, know the, you should know the full force of God's strength toward you. The eternal might of God's power that overcomes all obstacles and resistance 
And, and what we're going to find out next is the greatest illustration of that power is God raising Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 20 tells us the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The father raised the son from the dead. Now, he could have used creation as an example. By his word, he said, let there be light, and there was light. He made everything out of nothing. He could have talked about God's providence as an example, sustaining the universe. If God lets go, everything collapses. He's sustaining the universe. He's keeping the stars in the sky. But instead of creation or providence, he points to the resurrection. That's the illustration. It's the objective demonstration of the power of God. And, and what it tells the Christian is this is also what happened to you when you got saved. This is what happens to you spiritually. It speaks of our union with Christ, that we are a new creature in Christ, a new creation of God because God does it. When Christ was raised, speaking of the believer, we, it says we were raised and seated with him now in the heavenlies. And the proof beyond all other proof that everything blocking the way of believers will be demolished is the resurrection. That raising Jesus from the dead is proof that the last enemy has been defeated. Death is done. At Pentecost, Peter preached, Acts 2.24, Jesus, whom God raised up, loosed the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it impossible. And so none of you are going to escape death. We're all going to die. But death was defeated at the cross. And so Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. I got a phone call last night that my uncle Pat died. He knew and loved Jesus. The family called me and they said, we have 20 people in the room. We want to talk with you now and pray. Let's pray. I'm cousin Mike to them. And we prayed, and, and we read the scriptures, and we rejoiced in the truth. 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Death and hell and Satan have been conquered, proof that nothing is too hard for the Lord. It's like a generator when the power goes out. You always have power in Christ. But for the Christian, when you think of the glory and the perfection and the wonder of what awaits you in heaven, oftentimes what will happen to you is you feel so weak and so unable, like you can't ever get there. And the answer is in a place like Romans 8, 38 and 39. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God at work in you, believer, keeps and preserves you and makes you ready for future glory. That the almighty power of God is at work in every Christian and that what you are is only due to God's grace and power. It's why you can do anything. 
That's why you can rejoice in the Lord today. But even so, there are a lot of Christians walking around that maybe should stop telling people they're Christians until they get this figured out. See, there's a lot of Christians walking around now who give the impression that to be a Christian is to carry this heavy weight upon your shoulders and endless cares and worry and anxiety, and they're trudging through life, tortured, pierced by every problem, ignoring God's power, failing to rejoice. And if that describes you today, you need to be reminded of the truth. Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ lives in me. That Christ offered himself in your place. And that the resurrection is the greatest display of the power of God and the love of God ever. Ever. Octavius Winslow said this, so bent was Jesus on saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself, that he created the tree on which he was to die and nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail him to the accursed wood. Oh, the depth of Jesus' love to sinners. This is why if you're a Christian today, you can work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. That Jesus is so powerful that there is nothing in your life that cannot be fixed by God. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That's better than duct tape. And I'm a fan of duct tape. Recently, the wind blew our ping pong table onto a newly planted apple tree, it snapped it off at the base. Just snapped it off. It looked like a goner. And the family told me about it. I came home and actually happened when I was in Africa. So I came home uh, several days after the deed had been done. And I'm looking at my apple tree. I'm thinking, yep, it's, it's a goner. It's, it snapped right there at the root, right there, right there at the ground level, just broken straight off like that. It was just like, you know, compound fracture, I guess. And and I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to have to cut that and throw it in the trash. And I thought, no, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to put it back up and go like that. And, and then I took my trusty duct tape, and I, and I wrapped it around the bottom of the tree. <laughs> Kept watering it. Lo and behold, the healthiest tree in our yard right now. And God does far greater that the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus can equip you and powerfully work in you to will and do his good pleasure. You just have to yield to him. That Jesus was raised powerfully to life and that power is, is at work in every Christian. That's the first holy declaration about Jesus. Second holy declaration about Jesus that gives you strength to live is this. Jesus Christ is seated sovereignly above all. He is seated sovereignly above all. We see it in verses 20 and 21. He says he seated him. He raised him from the dead. It was like, boom, wait, wait, what happened after he rose from the dead? Well, he seated him. Wait, there was like 40 days of like appearances and all these things and the ascension. Yes, but the important thing to know right this moment is that Jesus was raised from the dead and now he is seated 
at the right hand of God, in the place of authority, in the heavenly places. And it says in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He is sovereignly seated above all. No one, no one is, 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 is over Jesus. He's at the Father's right hand in heaven. He is far above all identifiable entities. What Paul is doing here, he's listing the powers that God conquered. He's using words that were used back then to refer to the gods, the false gods that thought to control the fate of human beings and the destiny of nations. And he's using these words and he's saying, look, fear of these powers was so common to you and you believed that honoring deities who controlled the fates of the nations could bring you social prosperity and individual prosperity? Not true. And he is praying for them that they would understand in Christ that there is victory over all such power. You need to know this. You need to know it today in your life. Christ is seated at the Father's right hand. He's over all rulers, especially angelic rulers and evil angels. Paul is using the the, the words of Psalm 110, verse 1, to say that just as the Lord gave a military victory to the king, God has given his anointed king, Jesus, the Messiah, victory over all forces against him. And he uses his power for us who believe. That our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You're battling all these people in your life? Well, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers, authorities, and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where the battle lies. Angelic evil forces that want to rob you of your blessings, and Christ is over all authorities. They will not win. God versus evil powers. Battle rages between angelic powers and believers individually and collectively. And and Jesus is seated sovereignly over every name that is named. Unchanged, fixed position, not only in this age, but the one to come. Everything's covered. It's comprehensive and it's permanent. God's power exercised by raising Jesus from the dead, directed to believers, is the reason. And a similar description of God's power is given in Isaiah 40. There were these, these questions, a series of questions. To whom will you liken God? With whom can you compare him? See, all comparisons are useless. He sits on the circle of the earth. God over all political powers and princes and governors and men of wisdom and nothing compares to God's power and no one can advise him or give him anything. He is everlasting in might and strength and power. God has no boss. No one tells him what to do. He gets to make all the decisions. You need to acknowledge his position. You need to realize it. Jesus Christ was raised powerfully to life and he is seated sovereignly above all. And then quickly, a third holy declaration about Jesus appears that gives you strength to live, and it's this. Jesus is not only seated above all, he is ruling over all. He is ruling over all, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him as head. You got head and feet. All things, even to the church. He is sovereign over all things. He is the Savior of all who believe. This is the truth. Grapple with it. Deal with it. 
The Father put all things under Christ's feet, feet and head. It's a quote from Psalm 8, verse 6. You have given dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And just as in Psalm 8, he subjected all creation to mankind, God makes Christ's enemies his footstool. He's talking about the magnitude of God's power manifested in his work in raising Christ from the dead and seating him at his right hand and putting everything under him. It's a demonstration of God's power in Christ's resurrection and also his present position of authority. That he has headship over all things God gave Christ when he raised and seated him above all his enemies. Christ is the head of his body, the church. But we all have eyes. We all have ears. And we know, even without being told, but it's good that we're told in Hebrews 2, verse 8, that at present... We do not yet see all things in subjection to Christ. Not yet. Key word, yet. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Christ. People are railing against God. You might be. People are saying he doesn't exist. People are saying he has no right to rule over them, whether outright or by just their own life, the way they live it. We want to rule ourselves so often. We do not yet see all things under his feet in subjection to him. But Hebrews 2.9 says, but guess what we see? Who do we see? We see Jesus. Believers see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Philippians 2 tells us someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, if someone is standing over someone they can only cover what's under their feet, 12 by 12 square. Fallen man does not know how puny he is. So many people lording it over those under their care. Well, Jesus is over every square inch of creation, and he is the best master, he is the best Lord, and Christ's lordship should, should drive you to serve him. We want to please him, knowing that, that you, if you're a believer, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, that he bought your soul with his blood, and even if the magnetic pull of the world tears at your soul, you still acknowledge Christ's lordship. We know what happens. It's so easy to go after the world. It just is. Worldliness is the enemy of living in God's power. And acknowledging his rule. If you're having trouble living in God's power and acknowledging his rule, it's probably not the people that you're so upset with. It's probably you. 1 John 2 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, the love of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. See, nothing is so dangerous to your soul because it's so subtle as worldliness. And maybe this is you today, sunk in quicksand and immersed in worldly pursuits. You don't, you don't meet a news feed that you don't like. You, you can't, you can't you know, meet a social media post that you, can't, that you don't want to just spend a lot of time with. And every outlet is just you know, a magnet to you. And, and every song and every book and every movie in the world. And no wonder your soul is confused. 
You're like, I'm having trouble living the Christian life. I wonder why. I wonder. I mean, we're living in a world that exalts foolishness, and no matter where you've come from and what you've done or where you're going, there's something that comes from outside of you that's been injected into the universe by God that answers every issue. I like to call it the perfect word of God, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, conscience-binding, authoritative, perfect, eternal, unchanging word of God. We didn't make it up. And the Bible warns about this subtle power of the world to drag your soul away from Christ and deny him in daily life and have a form of godliness but deny its power. You know how many people who say they're Christians have this outward form of godliness in certain moments and in certain instances? Cue Sunday morning at church. And then they, they, the rest of their week is denying its power. Form of godliness but denying its power. And they're not fighting the flesh and the world and the devil. They're just bowing before human altars. We need to bow before Jesus who rules over all. These four holy declarations about Jesus. I said there's four and there's one more. They anchor a Christian to live in the present day. Gives you strength you need to live life. Jesus was raised powerfully to life. He is seated sovereignly above. He's ruling over all as Lord. And here's the fourth point. Jesus Christ is head of and leading his body, the church. Jesus Christ is head of his church. Jesus Christ is leading his body. Verse 23. Now I'm going to hold that point out for two, uh, for two Sundays from now. You can come back and hear that one on April 23rd. What I want to do right now is just dive deeper into those first three points. They're not just facts in a memory bank. They're truths that transform and drive daily life. That Jesus was raised powerfully to life. That he's seated sovereignly above all. That he's ruling over all as Lord. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for a while. That Jesus was born and died and rules over all things because he was raised. He was born to die. He says, this, this is why I was born. And everyone must yield and, and bow and surrender to his rule. And every, one day, everything someday will be in its rightful place under Christ. All things summed up in Christ, as verse 10 told us. Now, if you're an unbeliever today, you know, I'm so glad you're here. I really am. And I need to direct some ideas towards you. I want to direct some thoughts towards you if you're an unbeliever today. And really, one big question. Just, just one big question. Have you bowed, yielded, surrendered, believed in Jesus Christ apart from anything you think you deserve or can do? That's the question for the unbeliever today. Like, has your soul found rest in Christ? Because my prayer is that your soul would find rest in Christ. You know, there's two views about salvation that get shared a lot. One is true and one is false. The false one is this. Salvation is because of something you do plus the power of God that he gives you to nudge you along, so you plus God. That God helps you and enables you to get it. You plus God. What is true is this. Salvation is the result of God's power at work in and through a soul he has chosen. It happens by the power of God. A Christian is the result of God's work. No one makes himself a Christian. God alone makes Christians. The making of a Christian is the result of God exercising his power. 
that nothing but the almighty power of God could have raised Jesus from the dead, and nothing but the almighty power of God can make you and keep you a Christian. That's the truth. The gospel is, as we see it in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I I received something I'm giving to you. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He died in our place. He took the punishment our sins deserved. And he was buried. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The scriptures testify of Christ. If you're an unbeliever today and you haven't read the Bible, let me just tell you what it's about. Jesus, from cover to cover, it's all pointing to Jesus. What's the big answer of the Bible? Jesus. Who do you need to believe in? Jesus. Someone's like, well, that's a Sunday school answer. It's the answer for everything in life. Don't just limit it to Sunday school. Well, how crucial is this? How crucial is the resurrection? Well, Paul told believers in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, you, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, your faith is worthless and you haven't been forgiven. This man of sorrows is acquainted with grief that bore our sorrows and carried our sins. These aren't just facts to know about and do nothing about. It's to be proclaimed to all the nations for life. Jesus said, again, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then he asked the question, do you believe it? Well, do you? If you do, believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. You could walk in here an unbeliever. or You're hopping on the live stream as an unbeliever. And you can turn off the live stream later as a believer. You can walk out the door today as a believer. You're like, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah, you, you surrender your life to Jesus. Don't, you know, all your plans, you know, about your spiritual life and about what's happening at the end of your life, let you just know this. Here's what you need to know. You, if you become a Christian today, you contributed nothing towards your salvation but the sin that made it necessary. That's what Jonathan Edwards said. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God to everyone who believes. We preach Christ crucified. Christ, the power and wisdom of God. If if that's foolishness to you, I can't help you. But if you're going, wait, a Christian is one who's been recreated? Only God can create a new person? It's not about being a member of a church? It's not about making a decision. No, you can be a member of a church and have made a decision and not be a Christian. Christians, don't hold unscriptural views of Christianity. It's not about what you and what you decided. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and God made you alive. Okay, that's pretty clear. God's power is the beginning and end of salvation in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you become a believer, it's because of rebirth, because of regeneration. No one can birth himself spiritually or physically for that matter. Salvation is 100% the result of God's work. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Then maybe God woke you up. Spiritually speaking, he thought, you know what? You're thinking right now, I am tired 
of being misused by all the tyrant sin masters in my life. And I long to belong to the true king. And you're coming face to face with the glory of Christ in the gospel right now. Well, just know this. Salvation is all of God and not of you. It isn't God helping you. It's God doing what you cannot do. So believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. How many people have said, but I've sinned too much. That's why Jesus died. So let me direct some ideas towards believers now. Are, are you, this is a good question for every believer. Are you currently praising and serving Christ? Now, a lot of you can go check the box on that. Well, let's finish the sentence. Let me, let me finish my question, okay? Let me finish my question, then you can answer. Are you currently praising and serving Christ by acknowledging his right to rule in your life? Oh, that's what it means? Yes. The Lordship of Christ? The truth about Jesus Christ and his work should occupy first place in the life of every believer. And we know it's a struggle for believers. Especially if you're not in deep fellowship in the church and in the word of God and prayer. And the Holy Spirit wants, wanted the Ephesians to know and wants us to know right now, you know how great God's power is that's at work in every believer? You have to trudge through life as if you're being tortured. Stop it. If that's you, Christian, stop it. You're giving Christ a bad name. God's power at work in you who believe. God will give you the strength you need. And the emphasis is on the power of God in us. You believed, you trust in Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, you should be making progress in Christ, unless, of course, you have somehow gotten stuck in quicksand as a result of your sin. That is going to cause doubts within you. Of course, every Christian that gets caught in the quicksand of their own sin without repentance, without turning from it, they start doubting if they're really a Christian. Yeah, and, and every Christian goes through these kind of things at times. You hear of the unseen eternal things, the eternal weight of glory to which we're destined, and you see yourself and you realize, I, I fall drastically short. Exactly. If you don't think you fall drastically short, you might not be a Christian. If you're thinking, you know what, I'm probably the best Christian in this room, you're probably not one. But if you say, well, it's not for me because I don't feel fit for it. It's too glorious. I don't think I could get there. You know, I'm listening to the word and I feel great and I walk out the door, I fall on my face. Well, the answer is it's not you, it's God. You're wayward, you're weak, you're selfish, you're prone to sin. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your emotions. Don't trust your resolutions. And your thoughts get the better of you and crowd out the truth like a rotting tooth. And you know there's riches of the inheritance, but you sin and you fail, and at times you don't desire God. And the pressures of life and circumstances conspire, and you, 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 seem, you see it and think it's utterly impossible to grasp that glory. But here's what happens. If you cry out with Paul, wretched man that I am, who will free me from the body of this death, 
there is hope because Paul's pastoral heart leads us even limping step by step into the palace to see the king. By Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because what it's talking about is repentance being granted to you by God. You turn from your sins and turn to Christ and your soul gets restored by the only one who has authority to forgive sins. And it's all because of the raising of Jesus from the dead and setting him in the highest position of power. The resurrection is the big deal. Don't don't obscure the resurrection with your bunnies and your your eggs. The world wants Santa and the Easter bunny, or worse, to reign in your heart. It's about the lordship of Christ. He is ruling. All are under him. He's a good lord and master. You are conscience-bound to obey him, Christian. What did Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? No one, the Bible tells us no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Saying it means living it. And then you'll find when you surrender to Christ again and again, you'll find your fears vanish and you have new confidence and assurance with regard to your salvation. Because Jesus was raised powerfully to life, because he is seated sovereignly above all, because he is ruling over all as Lord. These are not just great ideas. These are ideas to live by. And there are consequences to your answer to the question, who is your master and who is your Lord? A day in the life of an Ephesian Christian might help us as we go our way today. A day in the life of an Ephesian Christian might have looked like this. You get up in the morning, you hear the sound of singing, Praising the Son of God, the world's true light, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, all things created through him and for him. You go down into the courtyard and you join in with a few Christians, one of whom might be saying, we remember the words that came to us from Peter, one of our Lord's apostles. As sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Then you would renew the oath Together, we will not commit theft or adultery. We vow to be true to our word, though it means loss. We vow to bring honor to God and our Lord Jesus Christ in all of our dealings with the world. Then you would read the words of a psalm. Maybe every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Then you would pray the Lord's Prayer. Then you would go about your day. All in the context of a world-worshipping Domitian, who they called the living God, who all were expected to do acts of gratitude towards their supposed false gods. And the consequences of not doing so were pretty stiff in first century Ephesus. Around A.D. 110, 111, Pliny was serving as governor, and there were accusations denouncing certain people as Christians, and they were brought to Pliny for, for prosecution. And he investigated the Christians, and their practice, he found, consisted of assembling at dawn on a certain day, singing to Christ as God, and binding themselves to an oath, and then they would take their food together. And Pliny diligently confirmed the report by examining two slave women, whom Christians called deaconesses, under torture. He learned that nothing further, aside from the details of this pagan governor called boundless superstition. Anyone accused of being a Christian could escape by cursing Christ, offering incense to the image of the, of the emperor, which Pliny actually brought and set before them to do. 
And those who persisted in being Christians were executed for their, I quote, obstinacy and inflexible stubbornness. Or if they were Roman citizens, they were remanded to Rome for the decision of the emperor. And all because salvation is a gift of God's grace. And they acknowledged the lordship of Christ and resolved to live to honor him. What does that mean for you and I on a day like today, on a day like Easter? We are free to practice being followers of Christ. Many of us neglect our duty because we're free to go after the world. What do we do today? How about rejoice in God's goodness and reevaluate our lives and resolve to live for God's honor? The world has seen many rulers, but never anyone like Jesus. The world doesn't know who's coming, and they will be shocked at his return. The author of Hebrews reminded early believers, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, publicly being exposed to reproach and affliction and being partners with those so treated. And then he told them this, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. See, the lordship of Christ gives you confidence and the strength you need, conviction that does not bend the knee to any but Christ, the risen, ruling Savior over all. Lord, we acknowledge you as Lord over all. We love you because you first loved us. We worship you because you are worthy of our worship. We ask, Lord, that you would empower us to live this life all for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able as we close? Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed.
Just a few announcements before we go. Uh, we're excited uh, to welcome new members all the time. We always have a bunch of new members coming in. I think we've uh, forgotten the last bunches of them, but we do have three that we're going to announce today. So Isaac Holbrook, Seth Holbrook, and Shauna Pashinte. I know Shauna's in here. Raise your hand, Shauna. Let's raise it real high. There you go, right over here. Three of our young adults. And um, we have a quiet week following Easter, so none of the midweek stuff is going on, but we have other things coming up soon. Family game night on April 28th, also a women's spring tea on April 29th. It's going to be awesome. And um, we have coffee and uh, goodies out on Plaza. I encourage you to uh, linger as long as you can and fellowship with one another. So Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 to close. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And Lord, we thank you that we could worship you today and praise you for your grace in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.